Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So before we dive into our actual main topic uh, for today, I just wanted to have a brief, I guess, programming note um, that we are also, we've started to uh, publish these episodes on YouTube as well as our regular RSS um, syndication means. Um, and this is mostly just an experiment. We're not changing anything about the core show. It's just, it's, you know, we're continuing on Relay, continuing to publish via RSS and MP3. Like that is the main, that is the show. But this is an experiment that we're trying. Um, so I just wanted to mention it in case that is a preferred mechanism for you, that if you like um, you know, listening to things via YouTube for whatever reason, that is something that's there. There will be a link in the show notes, or I'm sure if you just go to YouTube and search for Under the Radar, um, you'll, you'll find it. So I just wanted to mention that briefly. So please like, comment, and subscribe. Like, comment, subscribe, smash that like button, um, do all those things, <laughs> hit the bell. I think you're supposed to hit a bell. I'm not really sure. Is there a bell there too? There's a bell. Hit the bell. Is that different from thumbs up? I think it's different. And is that different from like? Or is thumbs up like? I think thumbs up is liking. And What's then the bell, bell is wanting, if you want notifications, I think. <laughs> you want to you hit that bell. But it's different from subscribing. Yeah. I mean, if there's any button underneath something and it's positive, go ahead and press it. <laughs> I mean, and maybe you push it three times just in case. Like, you well, know, you can go back button. to all of our like, you know, hundred and whatever episodes and do it on all of them. <laughs> exactly. Go ahead and do it for all of the, all of the, all of our past episodes. Maybe leave some comments. Um, yeah, anyway. Um, so our main topic today um, is we're going to um, talk through uh, this week. There was a p- article published on Bloomberg by Mark Gurman, which is um, you know the way many of these uh, Apple news things start. Um, and basically, he has a, I don't know, a tip, a lead, a rumor that um, Apple is working on a secret project codenamed Marzipan, um, which is a... A a pro, a project to create a unified uh, system for iOS and Mac apps to run together, um, and this is something that we've talked about. Um, I was looking up, I and mean, way back in the early days of the show, even we were talking about um, some of the challenges of being iOS developers and coming to the Mac, and you know, wishing for there to be an easier path. And so, you know, if this actually is a thing, um, which in a certain sense. Like whenever I, when I saw this, it's like it seems eventually this was going to happen. Um, you know, to to you know, to, to use the infinite timescale argument, like this was somewhat inevitable that eventually Apple was going to consolidate their platforms. And if you know the rumor's true, and they're going to be doing it in you know next summer, probably would be their goal. You know, with WWDC, iOS twelve, uh, the next version of um, macOS, like it's going to be. If that's actually true, like this is a really interesting thing, and I think it'll create a lot of interesting opportunities for you know for development. I think it would be really interesting from a uh, learning like the abilities that you get from learning how to make Apple apps um, that suddenly you can make them on multiple platforms and distribute them and potentially in different ways. Uh, I think it has a lot of implications potentially on the business side um, and is probably mixed news for existing Mac developers um, that suddenly, you know, being a, all of the skills and things that you have from being a Mac developer may be slightly less uh, significant or unique. So anyway, it seemed like an interesting thing to uh, kind of unpack um, given, you know, given our history with this topic. And, and, you know, this is a huge disclaimer that this is just a rumor published in one article literally today as we record, like an hour ago. <laughs> so uh, so this is not only like, you know, unabashedly our hot take on it, 
uh, and we haven't had a whole lot of time to think about it, and we have no no additional information. Uh, but also, it's simply one article from Mark Gurman, and his track record has been okay, but not perfect. So, especially you know recently, it seems like it's kind of getting worse, honestly. But um, you know, so take this all with a grain of salt. This is a rumor. This is not fact. This has not been confirmed or commented on by Apple, and probably won't be for some time, if ever. Uh, so, all that said. I am super excited about this. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, to me, you know, I'm an iOS developer. I happen to have made a couple of little Mac apps, um, but it was like pulling teeth because I am not an AppKit expert. I am not a Mac development expert. Even though I have used the Mac for a very long time, uh, I have not developed for it really in, in any serious capacity ever. I've done little toy things, but that's that's about it. So... For me, when I program on the Mac, it it, it feels, first of all, feels very antiquated in, in some ways. Not everything, but in some ways, because AppKit is a much older API than UIKit. It has a lot more baggage. UIKit was created in part from the lessons they learned from AppKit like 10 years earlier or whatever it was. Um, so, you know, AppKit is very, very cumbersome for me as an iOS developer to use because it's like take this thing that that I'm familiar with and change a lot of how it works add a whole bunch of stuff you have to deal with make a lot of stuff different for no good reason by modern standards like maybe it was that way for some time or forever ago but you know now it's like if you look at what the needs are now for these platforms like a lot of things are just different for for no good reason anymore um, or for for legacy reasons that that no longer apply or shouldn't need to apply uh, and so AppKit development is very slow, very cumbersome for iOS developers. And because of that, it's also just expensive, you know, and in, in the time, you know, time it takes and the resources it takes. If you have to hire Mac programmers, there are way fewer of them than there are iOS programmers. So it's it's probably more expensive for big companies as well. And the Mac user base is smaller than the iOS user base by a good amount. And so the result of this has been so far that iOS developers, big and small, which basically means all app developers these days, like pretty much every major business and service has iOS apps, almost every major developer either either ignores the Mac completely as a platform for their application or service, or they treat it as a second-class citizen because it has smaller numbers of people and it's way harder and more expensive for most people to develop for. So this is a problem. So even if you ignore the technical arguments, even if fans of AppKit can tell us why it's better in certain ways, which it is, or why it's more advanced in a lot of ways, which it is, or why things are done this way for good reasons, which they are, all of that is secondary to this massive economics problem of there's tons of people writing iOS code and who can write iOS code, it's like this massive like universal language now for mobile apps because of the market realities of these platforms. So like every business is writing iOS apps. But the Mac is like, you know, if we get to it, maybe someday. Or if you write a Mac app, it's maybe an Electron app or some other kind of, you know, wrapper or, or like cross-platform language where you're really just writing like JavaScript or, or web code or something like that. And it's being run in, in WebKit on a Mac, which is fine. You know, like big apps like Slack are done that way. It's fine, but it's not good. 
And there's lots of major downsides to that kind of app, like especially like memory usage and performance, stuff like that, native integration type stuff. So that's not a great situation to be in. And also just a lot of apps just don't have native apps on the Mac. They just use websites. It's like, all right, well, you can log into our website and do this. And and I'm just, I am a huge example of this in my own head, obviously. Um, you know, this is exactly how Overcast works. Like, I don't have a Mac app. I have considered making a Mac app before. There are a couple of podcast uh, apps that that have made Mac apps, um, and usually they have killed them. Like usually, like the the uh, the the other indie podcast apps that made Mac versions seem to like stop development afterwards. Like it seemed like they just it, like that was too much of a burden, and it just you know was the last nail in the coffin or something. And and I'm I'm, I'm afraid of that happening to me if I if I would do the same thing because it's a totally different platform. Like if I were to if I were to try to port Overcast to Mac today, I could I could very easily just copy over and use the core library functions of things like the database, the sync engine, and most or all of the audio engine. Because like all those low-level frameworks have been unified uh, for the most part with not a lot of exceptions, uh, at least in the way I'm using them. But the UI would have to be completely rewritten from scratch. And... You can make an argument, and many people have, that you should write custom UIs from scratch for a completely different new platform than, than what you've written before. Because, and, and, and in an ideal world, that's true. In an ideal world, yes, I would write a whole custom Mac UI uh, because the Mac is not iOS. You know, control, Controls are totally different. The environment's totally different. Windowing is, is totally different. Like... There's all sorts of major platform differences between the two that you shouldn't just like be running an iOS app in a window on the Mac. Like that's that's not a great way to do this. But the reality is, because developing on the Mac is such a huge investment for for an established iOS developer, um, and because there are way more of us than Mac developers, uh, and and that's probably going to continue to go that direction. Because of this of these economic differences. The reality is not that we are choosing between having good Mac apps and having some kind of cross-platform thing. The reality is that we're choosing between having the cross-platform thing or no Mac apps. And it's, it's not to say that the entire Mac app market will go away that exists today. We don't know what this is. This could be just another option. This could be like another framework you can use, you know, a, a platform that you can use to develop Mac apps with as an alternative to AppKit. That's how I would guess they would do it because Apple has a whole bunch of AppKit code themselves. They're not going to get rid of AppKit. So I think the existing like Mac market is fine and they would be totally, you know, totally, totally fine to keep going in that way. I don't think this is a threat to them in the short term. In the long term, it probably is. But I think in the long term, it's very clear that Apple has not been moving AppKit forward very aggressively. They have not been investing heavily into it, uh, just like the rest of the Mac, basically. Yeah, and I think the biggest threat, honestly, probably to Mac developers is just the devaluing in some ways of their unique skill. Like it reminds me of people who are, say, Fortran developers or COBOL developers, right? Like if you have this very distinctive skill that if you are a AppKit genius, like that is a unique, marketable, valuable thing right now that if, if a company decides they want a Mac app, there's not as many people who can do an exceptional job of that. Um, and in a weird way that me might be slightly devalued by this, um, just in the sense that if it's now, it's something that is possible for a broader range of people, um, you know, to do, but I mean, the thing is like, 
it's it's a weird thing when you start to get into like, well, these apps won't be as good potentially, which is, I think, a, a common reaction to this kind of thing. It's like, well, they're, you know, people are just going to make blown up iPhone apps. And maybe that's true. Uh, I mean, in many ways, it makes me think of the iPad, though, where I think for years, the iPad and the way that it was sort of technically structured was that while it was still UI kit under, you know, in terms of the libraries you were using, you know, you the, the way that you were encouraged to develop an iPad app was that it was a completely separate sort of visual fork in your application that you would, you know, you would launch into your iPad app or you would launch into your iPhone app. And then with the size classing changes and the introduction of the slide over and this, you know, the one quarter width iPad apps and all these things, um, that largely went away. I think they, there was the encouragement started to become that it's, it's like being a, an adaptable iPhone app is good enough and is probably sufficient for most situations and may not be optimized that when you are running that app on, you know, a big, on the biggest, whatever the 12 inch iPad pro, like it's not going to be ideal potentially, but it works and it will be there. Um, and it's certainly better than just having the, like the two X iPhone app <laughs> blow up version, um, which was what, you know, the situation we found ourselves in before. And I expect we would have a similar thing, um, moving to the Mac where, you know, it, most if you if your app has an iPad app, imagine running that iPad app on a Mac, and you're probably pretty close to something that is very usable, workable, um, like would feel not it may not feel native in the sense of what we consider native now, but the reality is from probably for an increasing number of people, what feels native and natural is iOS, and the Mac is the foreign thing. And it could even be reassuring and encouraging to somebody who comes to, you know, if they come to the Mac and the Mac feels like iOS, like the thing they know, um, that may actually be a positive rather than a negative for them. And so I think the, like, dismissing this in any way for like, it's like, oh, it's going to lead to these kind of, you know, these shovelware um you know, iPhone apps that are just going to be blown up onto the screen or, you know, running in teeny little windows. It's like, maybe, but like having something like if suddenly there now being a million new apps available for the Mac, like that would be awesome. That would be, I think like there's no world in which that's a bad thing. I don't think like having that opportunity, like I like that as, as, as something, you know, maybe they won't work wonderfully. Maybe it's not perfect, but it's not like the Mac is this flourishing ecosystem that is, you know, is continuing to grow and develop and attract new developers, you know, at, you know, in droves. It's like, no, it's not. And that's, it's like, I think this is a, it's, it's easy to perhaps get stuck on the ideal sense of what you could imagine versus the pragmatic reality of if, if Apple went down this road, if they made it really easy for iOS developers to essentially just add, like, you know, this app can run on the Mac, and when it's in the Mac, it has maybe a slightly different size class, um, but otherwise, like, is pretty much just the same, like, that's pretty cool to me. Like, I'm on board with that. I think that would be really interesting. And uh, overall, like, it just creates so much more opportunity, and it creates such a value, an increased value in learning how to make iOS, uh, you know, iOS apps or UIKit or whatever this new thing is. It's like the, that, that all that skill and development that we've developed now suddenly becomes that much more valuable and interesting. We are sponsored this week by FreshBooks. To all the freelancers out there, you know how important it is to make smart decisions for your business. FreshBooks can save you 
hours and hours with their cloud accounting software for freelancers that is ridiculously easy to use. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. FreshBooks has so many great features that make it just easy to get paid. So, for instance, when you email a client, FreshBooks can show you whether they've seen the invoice or not, which puts an end to the guessing games and the awkward conversations. And they automate late payment email reminders, so you can spend less time chasing down late payments and more time just doing your work. FreshBooks may now have over 10 million users, but they've managed to stay a pretty small company also, lending them the title of Small Giant on Forbes' list of best small companies this year. If you're listening to this and you are not using FreshBooks yet, now is the time to try it. FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show with no credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash radar and enter under the radar in the how did you hear about us section. Thank you so much to FreshBooks for their support of this show. So you mentioned a minute ago the the idea of being um, ideal versus pragmatic, and I think this is this is the overall theme of this of this kind of concept. Like you know, assuming this is real, or or you know, if this happens, real versus pragmatic is a is an argument that a lot of people have trouble with um, because a lot like it's it seems unfair or unjust or non ideal to to for, especially for people who really care a lot, which is pretty pretty common in the mac fan community um because that's the kind of people who historically have loved apple products because apple really cared a lot um but it's it's very common like mental friction to get over that like sometimes the best solution is actually the most pragmatic one which might not be the 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 like you know objectively like best quality one or the one that you want or the one that you think should be like I wrote an article forever ago on my blog called "Right versus Pragmatic" that was actually about bathroom trash can placement, but <laughs> but this is you know it's a similar argument, which is like you can make a good argument that what should happen is everyone who sh- who wants to make a Mac app should do it like the the most like native original old school way, which is AppKit. Sorry, classic Mac people. That's I, I know this is not old school to you, but for, to us, like, you know AppKit is old school these days. Um, and and you can make a great argument that. All Mac apps should be AppKit and should be fully native and should be designed from scratch for the Mac with the Mac in mind. And you're right, that should be the case. But the reality is different. The reality is that the Mac is a neglected platform by a lot of people these days, including on many levels, Apple. You know, Apple is not able to keep up with their own apps doing very well on the Mac anymore. You know, Apple versions of of their cross-platform apps, the the Mac versions like Photos usually have fewer features, uh, or you know, or like Notes, like they usually have fewer features, or they have more bugs, or you know, or they don't even really take advantage fully of the Mac itself, um, or they're just kind of weird designs that never get touched, like Reminders, um, and so even Apple can't keep up with their own apps, their own first-party apps on this platform. Even they are having trouble maintaining these two different platforms and justifying the effort it takes to to you know move the Mac forward meaningfully. So if there, if our only you know the the ideal choice is everyone should invest infinitely into the Mac until everything can be great. But that isn't one of our choices in reality. In reality our choices are well, here's how people actually work. Here's the actual economics, actual trade-offs that are involved here. Um, and so our actual choice is between moving in a direction like this rumor, which is a more unified UI framework, more unified app platform between Mac and iOS, or 
having the Mac continue to languish, having a lot more apps switch to like you know the WebKit Electron kind of style where everything is non-native anyway and badly performing and a huge RAM hog, which makes your Mac suck more. Like that's the alternative here. It's it's not the alternative is not that we're gonna you know educate the world into using AppKit. That's not, that ship has sailed. That's not going to happen. Uh, so if these are our options, which you know, newsflash they are, uh, I'd rather have the option that gives us more Mac apps than the option that gives us fewer crappier ones. Yeah, and I think too, it's also this creates so many interesting possibilities. Like, in some of them are kind of. Uh, tangential but like for me i'm kind of excited about the pos- prospect of being able to ship ios apps without needing a sandbox or app review potentially that's interesting like suddenly that like i mean it's just so, so you know the, all of the, the apps for the most part that i've ever sh- shipped have gone have to go through app review go you know are from the app store and that constrains and limits the types of things that i can do the types of risks I want to take, um, you know, like I have been bit by app review enough times that, you know, I, there's a certain cautiousness and carefulness that I have to adopt when I'm working on my apps. It's kind of interesting that if for me to be able to use the skills I have at this point, potentially to ship apps, you know, if, I, would, I would hope anyway that, if, you know, if Apple did something like this, that it wouldn't be, you know, only available, you'd only be, able, you know, somehow able to run these apps if they came from the Mac App Store. Like, hopefully you would be able to just run them independ- independently as Mac apps, um, you know, with the developer ID, code signing, you know, that kind of that, that level of security that I could just, you know, sign it myself, put it out on my website and distribute it. Like, that's a really interesting opportunity and possibility and allows for new things. And, that's really cool to me. Like those types of things um, are not, you know, the strict goal of this, but it's like creates these new opportunities. And I just, I love, I love situations that it's like it create it, it takes something that is existing and creates new opportunities for it. That I don't exactly know. Like if tomorrow Apple announced this platform, then it's like you know we've added this great new thing. You know you can with relatively little effort make a one of your existing iOS apps run nicely um, and natively on the Mac. Like I don't know exactly what I would do, but I would give some serious thought to what I could do with that. Because there is a lot of interesting things that I think become possible in that world. And I, things that I could imagine wanting to try and experiment with in a bit more of a creative way. And it's nice to not have it over the back of my mind, well, this has to go through app review. This has to you know, be conformant with all of the app review stuff. And so if, it, if I now have this, you know, this alternative place that I can go and experiment, that's really cool too. And a lot of the initial reaction has also focused on... Uh, user pricing expectations and, and and things like devaluing Mac apps to iOS app levels. And, and this is certainly a reasonable concern for people to have. But I think, I kind of think a combination of, of two conflicting viewpoints, either A, it won't do that, but B, that ship has already sailed and it, uh, that already has happened. Um, you know, the Mac justifies higher prices today for a lot of apps, not because they were difficult to write, <laughs> but but because or or you know not i assume appkit developers wouldn't classify it as difficult but you know what i mean like not because they were written in appkit that's not why they're expensive compared to ios apps um and you know and i think if you look at the actual pricing history of a lot of mac apps there's already been downward pressure on pricing by by quite a lot and for quite a long time ever since the ios app store shipped at all uh so 
I think that ship has already sailed to a large degree. And if if there was already pressure on your app to get its price down, that pressure will still be there. If there wasn't already pressure on your app to get its price down, well, first of all, you probably aren't charging enough. Uh, but second of all, the reason why Mac apps have been able to charge good money is often because they actually deliver meaningful value to people in a way that they are willing to pay for. And so that's things like apps people use to get their work done, very specialized apps that there really aren't good alternatives for, um, apps that save people significant amounts of time in their day. And, you know, like that's the reason why app prices have been pushed down is not because Apple won't give us, you know, trials or upgrades or whatever it is in the app store. Like whatever we're complaining about that year, that's not the reason why prices have been pushed down. The reason is because on iOS, there's tons of developers. So there's tons of competition and most developers expect to be able to make money from, from just good work, regardless of how much value it delivers to the customer on the Mac the apps that make money are not just any Mac apps. They're apps that, like, you know, I'm willing to pay, like, 50 bucks for an app that helps me produce podcasts every week because that's my job. You know, I'm willing, I'm willing to pay good money for tools. Like, I, I think, I think my, my Git app was, like, 80 bucks. I consider that a great value. Paint Code, my icon drawing app, I think was 100 That was also a great value. Um, you know, like, the, the, the apps that I use to get my job done or that save me significant time are valuable and are worth paying for. And if this iOS, you know, to Mac crossover app thing happens, that will still be the case. The only risk to pricing on on the large scale, I think, is that this will bring a lot more developers to the platform. And so there will just be more competition. But I think, you know, history of the world has proven that that's generally a good thing even if it might not be good for certain people who are there now who have had the platform more to themselves and have kind of locked up the whole market just by the you know difficulty or obscurity of the platform you know as part of a contributing factor if you now have more competition more people can develop mac apps yeah that might not be good for like the handful of people who are there already but it's really good for the users and for pretty much everyone else and all those new developers who can now make careers here where they weren't before so that those are the concerns but i think and i think those are you know either unwarranted or missing the big picture yeah and i think too if you're if your business is if it's sustain, if its sustainability is fragile to the degree that an incre- you know the introduction of additional competitors makes it fall apart yeah like you are in a bad position to start with. And like, I feel, I really have genuine sympathy for people who find themselves in that situation. I've been in that situation, like early days of the, I mean, early days of being an iOS developer, like what, you know, whatever, eight years ago, it was really like, I could make good money from being in the app store just because there weren't that many other apps in the app store. So being one of them was great, but eventually like that gravy train came, you know, came to an end and I had to adapt and I had to move on. And that process has been difficult and that process has not always been comfortable, but like that is the reality. And it's the understanding that, you know, the position I found myself in back then was not because of something that I was entitled to or had, you know, uniquely achieved. It's like, it was, it was more a circumstance of timing, of luck, of being in the right place at the right time. And eventually that time changed. 
And I think it'll be the same thing here. And it's like, it's just going to be this question of finding, you know, you're finding a way to um, bridge the gap. And it's like, well, if you're an existing Mac app and you have, like, if anything, you have this great head start because you can presumably make apps that still stand out and that are still better than um, an app that is not really, you know, is not coming from somebody with the, you know, that length of experience. Even if it's, you are still, you know, developing an iOS or whatever the equivalent you know, framework that this is going to be, you know, I would imagine and expect that if you are a lifelong Mac developer and you are, and you start developing a new Mac app with these tools, it should be better. It should be more informed, have more, you know, have stand out in a way that would, you know, give it an advantage. But the reality is, yeah, it's like, if and if, if, it's like you could imagine the the war. It's like, well, people are just going to expect to get the Mac app for free when they get them get the iPhone app, and it's like, yeah, probably <laughs> they already expect that. <laughs> they already they already do, and this is just one other the, the next form of that, and this is this is the next place this is going to happen, and that's not great. That's uncomfortable, but I think it's also in some ways it's necessary for the platform to move forward, and so it's really sad and tricky and complicated, and I have great sympathy for the people who find themselves in that situation. But that's, you know, that, that's where the, that's where this tide is rising to. And we're just going to have to, you know, get in our boats and hope for the best. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.